Hallelujah. Okay, we go. We want to continue with our study on Ezekiel 28. And today we're going to look at verse 14. Praise the Lord. Verse 14 says, Thou art the anointed cherub that cover it. And I've said this so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Like I said before, this is one of the very verses that makes people to teach that this is talking about the fallen angel and all that said it has to do with Adam because of the word that is used, anointed cherub. Hallelujah. Okay. So we want to look at some of those pictures there, like the holy mount of God. What exactly is the holy mount of God? One of the things you can quickly pick from the scripture is the holy mount of God where you find the cherubim is already connected to the ark and Manziah. Hallelujah. The ark and Manziah, these are the two things you always see in connection to the holy mount and then the cherubim. But what it really speaks about is you are highly exalted to the place of the higher dignity. Zion is the highest point or was the highest point in Jerusalem. Amen? The kings were Mount Zion, David. Man, check the echo. This vibration is not good. You find that David was on Mount Zion. It was the highest point in the city of Jerusalem. So by implication, Zion is a symbol of the place of authority and kingly dignity. David was staying Man Zion with his family, whether as it were, Jerusalem was on the plain. So when you talk about Zion, you're talking about the highest point that reflects authority and dignity, which is kingly, as it were. Praise the Lord. But let's look at something about the issue of the Holy Mount. Let's look at the scripture, Isaiah 20, verse 39. Let's look at this. Isaiah 20, verse 39. It says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, go ye 
Save ye everyone his idols. And hereafter also, if you will not hearken unto me, but pollute my holy name, no more with your gifts and with your idols. For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, saith the Lord, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, Save me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the first fruit of your oblations with all your holy things. So again, you find that when we talk about holy mountain of God, we're simply talking about Israel or the house of God. Is it clear? Ezekiel has said, sorry. Did I say Isaiah? Ezekiel 20, verse 39. Sorry. Ezekiel 20, verse 39. Hallelujah. So we take it again. Are we doing now? As for you, O house of Israel. Are you seeing that? Does the of God. Go ye, serve ye everyone, his idols, and hereafter also, if ye will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more, and with your gifts and with your idols. For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of what? The house of Israel. See the Lord God. There shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings, the first fruit of your oblation with all your holy, holy things. Can you get that? So when we talk about the holy mountain of God, we are actually talking about the house of Israel. It is simply a people, and not a geographical point of reference. So when you're talking about holy mountain of God, we are not just talking about maybe, as people want to uh, insinuate, maybe we're talking about Eden, I've explained what Eden stands for before. Remember that? Eden stands for delight, stands for the place of joy, place of blessing. Is that okay? Now the holy mount of God is the house of God. Praise the Lord. Okay, I, I would like to, you see, if you go back to Isaiah, we read that before. The holy mount of God or the mount of God is actually Mount Zion. Okay, let's look at Psalm 48. Put Psalm 48 on the board. Let's look at that. Remember Isaiah 14. We are told Nebuchadnezzar was saying he was going to rule on the mount that is to the north side. Remember that? Okay. Look at this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of God, His holiness. Look at verse 2. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the old earth is what? Mount Zion. On the side of the north, the city of what? The great king. So the holy mount of God is a place of dominion, power, and authority, and speaks of a people. It is the highest height you can attain in terms of wielding authority, even as a child of God. That's what I was explaining initially. You find that the whole of Israel was like as it were on the plain, but Mount Zion, where David was with his family and where he presided as a king, was Mount Zion. So when you say Mount Zion, 
he's speaking of the highest point in terms of authority, power, and dominion. Are you following this? Good. So when the Bible is not saying you have been on the holy mount of God, it's another way of saying you've attained to the place of dominion and what? Authority. Praise the Lord. Are you getting that? Good. But remember, in Isaiah 14, you find that um, Nebuchadnezzar was saying he was going to ascend to the mountain that is to the north side. You remember that? Good. And this is a mountain to the north side, which is what? Mount Zion. You have to understand the typology or the usage of the word Mount Zion and Jerusalem. Okay, it's like saying Nigeria and Abuja. The president rules from Abuja, but he rules Nigeria. Come on, are you getting that? Good, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's the seat of power. And the man that stays in Asso Rock carries the authority in his hand. So if you are Mount Zion, the holy mount of God, you carry authority. That's what he's speaking about. So when the Lord is saying in Isaiah 20, you've been to the mount of the Lord, the holy mount of God. In other words, you've climbed or you've moved to the place of authority as a king. Are you getting that? So it's not as if the man was moving to one geographical location. No, 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 it's not saying that. So just like you have uh, Abuja, you have Asorok, where the president rules from, the same way, in the United States, you have Washington, D.C. That's where the White House is, where the president rules from. Are you getting that? That's exactly what it means. So Mount Zion is the highest point where the king's authority is released from. So if this scripture is saying, hey, you, king of Tyre, you move up to the mount of God, what he's simply saying, you've come to the place of absolute dominion and what? Authority as a king. Praise the Lord. So it's not saying this man traveled to one place somewhere. No. Amen. Okay. The next thing you find in that passage is, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Okay. So what is that supposed to mean? This is clearly the description given to God why covenanting with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Let me read a scripture on that. Ezekiel 24. No, Exodus 20. Let's look at Exodus 20 verse 10. When he said you walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Let's look at Exodus 20 verse 10. 24 verse 10. And it says, And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stones, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Amen? So here again we'll find that just like Isaiah 14, the desire of King Nebuchadnezzar was to rule over the children of Israel. Even so, this king's ambition was, or his imagination, as it were, was that he was going to stay in the place of God. 
under whose feet was, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. You must understand, I won't be able to share so much on that here, but, okay, just go to Ezekiel, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 1, let's look at verse 13. Let's look at verse 13. God's glory was like devouring fire. And this is also the scripture that is given to cherubims in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 13. Let's look at that. Ezekiel 1, 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like what? Burning coals of fire. You must know that this is symbolic. It's not talking of literal stones in any particular mountain. Is that okay? Now, if you, if you take time to study that as Isaiah 24 that we just read, the body of heaven actually is the church. When he said it was clearly the body of heaven, time will not permit me to begin to explain that to you, but he speaks about the church. He speaks about that with God. Hallelujah. It's intended to bring forth. A church without spot or wrinkle. Hallelujah. Are you with me? So when we're talking about coals of fire, we're not talking about literal coals. When you say you walk up and down among the coals of fire, we're talking about a purified people. It's actually symbolic of God's presence. Praise the Lord. Now Moses, who gave the law, if you go back to study scripture, you find that he was described as walking upon the mount with the coast of fire. Is that all right? Why? Because when God descended upon the mountain when he was to get the laws, the Bible says the whole place was like fire, an earthquake, and lightning as he came in. But Moses walked there. Because you see, the holy mount of God is wherever. Now, by the way, can we say this? When the Bible talks about holy ground, what do you really think he's talking about? What is holy ground? Now, people talk about holy land. And that is to say, you have to be in Israel to get to the holy land. Is that all right? Question, what made Israel or Tel Aviv holy land? It's all simply because God manifests his glory on this mountain. And remember what he told Moses when Moses was to come out of Jethro's, you know, tending of sheep at the point of the burning bush. Remember that? What did the Bible say? He said, pull off your shoes. For the ground which you are standing is what? Holy ground. What made the ground holy? Because God appeared there on the burning bush. So whenever God stepped into, the place become what? Holy. So Mount Sinai was the holy mountain because God came in there, as it were, by fire and thunder and lightning. That's what made it holy. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? So Moses walking upon the stones of fire, coals of fire as well, is a very clear symbol of the fact that because Moses picked the laws on the mountain, with Mount Sinai, and God himself descended on that place. He's not talking about literal coals of fire that maybe 
King Tyrus was walking upon. No. But again, it's simply a symbol of being close to God and being in the presence of God and receiving from God's glory. Hallelujah. So here it's like a comparison of the ministry of Moses and that of King Tyrus. That's why he says, you walk up and down upon the coast of fire. Praise the Lord. Wow, okay. Now, some persons think, from the studies I'm making, that the stones of fire means the stars. Having thought that the whole half reference to Satan, you know, as he fell, as a lightning. That is what he's talking about. So this has reference to Lucifer in their own thinking. But it's far from it. But let me take a simple illustration of the coal of fire again. Second Samuel chapter 22 verse 9. Second Samuel. How that this coal of fire is only relating to God. Verse 9. There went up a smoke out of his nostril, describing God, and fire out of his mouth, devoured coals were kindled by. Is that okay? Um, maybe we'll take Psalm 18 again. Look at Psalm 18, verse 8. Um, or the same thing. Psalm 18, verse 8. There went up a smoke out of his nostril, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. Is it there? Good. So, anytime you can, you can also check, maybe if you want to, uh, Psalm 12, 13, or whatever, all the same verse, and all of that. That is Psalm 18, verse 12, verse 13. You have the same expression. Using metaphorically, actually, describing the lightning or the proceeding that is coming from God. When you talk about coals of fire coming from a nostril, talking about the move of God, his breath. So this is how the Bible often describes God when it's moving. Do you understand that? Right. It has nothing. By implication, you look at it closely, you find that the description that is being given to uh, King Tyros is like you have ascended to the place where you look like God. You've got dominion. You've got authority. Praise the Lord. Now let me give you a simple illustration of what cause of fire really stands for even in the New Testament so that you can see. Can we turn to Romans 12 verse 20? Romans 12 verse 20. Therefore if the enemy hunger feed him, if he turns, give him drink. For in so doing, that shall heap coals of fire on his head. What is that supposed to mean? But I think this is contrary to what we pray today. He said, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he needs shelter, provide. Whatever he needs, in so doing, you are heaping coals of fire. Now, now, what he's trying to say is this. Overcome evil with good. Is that all right? Good. Now, let me give you the background to this. The Bible may not understand, or if you go back to history, I remember when we were young in the village, when maybe the rain just was falling so strongly, 
there is cold and then your neighbor comes from the farm. The next thing that happens, they come down to you or to your home to get fire from the kitchen. Is that all right? Good. That's what it means. So what he's trying to say is, if your enemy lacks help, render the help. Bowl of fire is like you, you, you want his fire to come up. He needs your help. He needs your fire to lighten his own fire. So you give him the right coal so that he can go and light up his own fire. That's what he's saying. So it's not saying put judgment on him. It's, the fire is not judgment. The fire is the help you render. You are rendering good for evil. Is that okay? That is the true meaning of this word. So it's like saying, by kindness and charity, you shall soften down your enemies as surely as even coal of fire fills the metal in the crucible. In other words, no matter how strong a metal is, you can melt it with what? With fire. Is that okay? Good. You can melt iron, anything with fire. You can shape any metal with fire. Right. So what he's saying is this. By kindness and love, you can melt the heart of your enemy. Are you following? Yeah. So, this is contrary to what we have today where you pray fire for your enemy. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. Keeping call of fire means overcoming evil with what? With good. Show more kindness to those who show you wickedness. That's what he's saying. Is that all right? Now, I have just read it for us to understand that when the Bible is talking about fire and coals of fire, it's not talking about literal things. So there was no mountain where there were literal coals of fire where the King Tyrus was walking up and down. That's what I'm trying to explain. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Now, figuratively as well, the Bible talks about, like we read in the verse 14, precious stones, again, we also know they denote value, Stands for beauty, stands for durability, just like fire is the symbol of God's presence and the instrument of his power. Stones, precious stones. Remember, I say you were decked with precious stones. It talks of the value. I mean, it talks about value, it talks about beauty, it talks about durability. Just like fire stands for the presence of who? Of God. Because when God came down on Mount Sinai, it was all ablaze with what? With fire. Hallelujah. Okay, write down these scriptures. We're, going to, we're not going to read them. But write down Exodus 14, verse 19. Numbers 11, verse 1 and 3. Judges 13, verse 20. Just write those things down. Exodus 19, I mean 14, 19, Numbers 11, verse 1 and 3, Judges 13, verse 20. You take time to study that. But talk with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. Hallelujah. Are we there? The Bible says, and the Lord delivered unto me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you on the mount 
out of what? The midst of the fire in the day of what? Of the assembly. Is that all right? Praise the Lord. So, you walked upon the mountain of the holy mountain of God among the midst of the stones of fire have nothing to do with a literal mountain as we want to be made to believe. Here again we'll find that the scripture is describing when Moses got the laws from who? From God on the holy mountain. Praise the Lord. So fire basically represents the presence of God, but not just the presence of God alone, but the holiness of God, which was actually in two aspects. It purifies and it destroys. Is that okay? The major symbolism of God's presence in terms of fire, as it is, it purifies and it does what? It destroys. You know, fire purifies. But you see, anything that fire consumes, it takes it to, is true elemental state. I don't know how I'm going to say this, but think about that. I read a story of late, I mean, sometime past, where people were cremating their relations. You know what cremation means? Somebody dies and then you burn the person. Now, there was a, a set of people that were taking the arches. So you can lose your father. So what happened is you burn your father, for instance, you cremate your father, you give them the dust, which has to do with the arches. And what happened? They have to treat the arches and get a ring out of it, diamond ring. So you wear the diamond ring and indicating that you have not lost your father. He's still with you. <laughs> so, but what, what am I trying to say? Man is made of the dust. Is that okay? It's just like wood. You burn wood, for instance. If you use fire to burn wood, you take it back to the original state. You bring out the element that makes up the wood. So, don't fire destroy, but at the same time, it does what? It purifies. It takes the stuff to the original state. The elemental composition of wood is what you finally get from the ash when you burn wood. Are you there? Good. Praise the Lord. So, fire has two aspects to it. It's both purifying and then destructive. Okay. Now, you find that the law has the same two aspects. The law condemns, and the law also tries to cause men to try to renew their mind. Did you get that? Praise the living God. So you need to understand as well. So if you are talking about walking, we are talking about ministering the law. We are talking about executing what the law is. And how was Ty was going to do that? Because he was a king. In the hand of the king is the law. Scripture said the words of the king is with what? With power. And it is the king that brings the law to judge the people. Are you following what I'm saying now? So again, the whole thing is going back to one thing. You walk upon the mount to the coast of fire, it's like saying you've come to the place of absolute dominion that your law has become authority over the land. Are you following me? 
I'm sure this is, this, these things are not looking crazy to you, but you get it. This is how you finally be able to appreciate scriptures when you're reading, especially when you come to prophetic and symbolic languages. So you don't read literal things and uh, you get confused. And then you take in everything that people are saying because you do not have accurate understanding of what the scripture is saying. Are you there with me? Very important. I, I mentioned last week, maybe when I finish with this, I have maybe one more. I wish I can go to today so that I just do one more section with you on this. And then we treat Genesis 1. Very, very exciting. People are already calling. People are already writing, man, this is good. This is revelatory. And so on and so forth. But I was speaking to someone. I said, I'm not really teaching revelation. I'm just teaching plain scriptures. Is that okay? Right. Because you look at Genesis 1. And it tells you in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And the verse 2 says, and the earth and the heaven without form and void. What's he talking about? You know, that is where they linked it to Ezekiel 28 and said, that's where Satan fell down and destroyed the whole place. Like the question I'm asking, if God who created a being have come to discover that the being is so strong and he has to drive the being down, was God doing mankind any good? If you can't resist it, why is it bringing it down to you? I mean, I don't know how people think. Hallelujah. You said this man fought him in heaven. He was such a strong angel. Now, this guy wants to overthrow you, like what they say, plan a coup, isn't it? Now, you send it down to mortal man. What do you want him to do? Like a stupid thinking. They teach this and mix. People, that's why when people do things, they say the devil made me do it because they don't want to take responsibility anymore. You've taken an action by your own decision. You say the devil made you do it. Which devil made you do it? You decided to do it. Are you still there with me? Crazy stuff. <laughs> when we come there, you'll be able to see it clearly. I know, I, I, I illustrated that to you last week. Thoughts. Do you know when you read John 1.1? Right? What did he say? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Isn't it? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Do you know that word means logos? I know what logos means? Thoughts. Ideas. <laughs> In the beginning was the thoughts of God. And the thought becomes word. Hey, you will like it. Until we get there. But I can make you go and read. Is that okay? So you see, Genesis 1 simply thought. Genesis 2 was God saw that all of these thoughts that are around me, I need to do something about it. So when you come to verse 3, he said, let there be light. So I want the light broken fall. Let there be air. Let it be fish. Let it be animals. So everything was coming out of him. Because you know what? There is nothing that exists without a source. So, you must agree and believe that everything that came in creation, because there was a time where there was nothing but what? God. So all things came from God. And he simply produced everything by speaking. So whatever he calls the thing comes out of that mass that was in his mind. Oh my, I like that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So when we talk about the stones of fire, we'll go back. We're talking about literally the tablets of the law and figuratively the law itself. Is that okay? So, but above all, the stones 
that were won by the high priest. I explained this last week. Upon the chest of the high priest, going to the most holy place, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember that? Praise the Lord. But there was something very specific about it. Actually, the Tamun and the Urim, two specific stones. They were meant to decide issues. But the priest puts it on, and you go there to inquire of the Lord, or you want to find out an answer to something. The stone flashes. It begins to flash like lightning. Begin to come out of the stone that is being worn by the priest. So, also they refer to that stone as stones of fire. If you ask a question, and the answer to be given, or whatever the case may be, and then the thing begins to flash. They call it the Tamun and the Urim. They were also worn by the high priest. Are you yesterday? So, they were symbol of judgment to decide issues. Praise the Lord. So here we'll find that sometimes they were referred to as jewels of gold. Jewel of gold. Right? And they have the divine power as they were sacred. Gemstones fashioned by God himself. This is what Ezekiel alluded to in the prophecy when he was given that prophecy as well. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, let's get down to something else again delay a little bit with this stone of fire, but I think we need to move a little bit fast because of time, because my intention tonight was to complete with this. Uh, let's look at one statement there that is made in that verse 14. But let me mention this. Hebrews 1 verse 7, you can write it down. Psalm 104 verse 4. You can also write it down. The Bible refers to the ministers of God as what? Flames of fire. Hebrews 1 7, Psalm 104, verse 4. Refer to the ministers of God as flames of fire or angels. Hallelujah. One of the reasons that God refers to ministers of God as flames of fire is because of their irresistible force and ability, strength. 5NC, in the execution of God's commands. That's why it refers to them as fire, ministers of flames of fire. Amen? So God ministers like servants. Uh, they are supposed to be swift people in action. They have potency. They are terrible as fire. And on the other hand, it makes them fire. But you remember in Jeremiah it says, the people shall be as wood and your word shall be what? Fire. Good. Praise the Lord. Okay. So again, uh, Ezekiel 28 verse 14, he said, I set thee upon the mount of, of the holy mount. Can we go back there? Very good. Okay. That are the anointed cherub that cover it, and I've set thee. I want to look at that word very quickly. I said, thee. by implication, you did not set yourself as a king in the place of dominion. I set thee. Did you get that? Are you following I set thee upon the holy mount, which is Mount Zion, like I said before. Okay. Let's look at something just to also prove the issue of the mountain. Psalm 30, verse 7. 
Psalm 30 verse 7. What do you find there? Lord, by the favor that has made my mountain to stand strong, thou the hide that face, and I was troubled. What is my mountain? It's the realm of dominion. He's saying, you've made my authority strong. You've made my rulership strong. So, kingly mountain is referred to, I mean, in this particular instance, as the holy mount. Strength and power of a king. So, David is saying here, you made my mountain strong. In other words, you made my authority to be what? Strong as a king. Are you still there with me? So you take that back to Tyrus again. You walk upon the holy mount. What's that supposed to mean? You receive, because he said, I set thee upon the holy mount. By implication, I made you strong as what? As a king. Are you following it? Praise the Lord. Okay. So when we read from that Isaiah, I mean Ezekiel, I keep on saying Isaiah, Ezekiel 28, 14, that was upon the holy mount of God. It simply means you advance to kingly dignity, a sacred office, and of divine institution. I made you to have all the power that you have ever had. I made you so powerful as a king. Praise the living God. Come on, are you there with me? He said, I set thee. Did you see it there? Hallelujah. And I have set thee so that I was upon the holy mount of God. I have made thy kingdom strong and powerful, divine, by my own influence. But just like Nebuchadnezzar, this king will not acknowledge the God that made him so. The same issue that Nebuchadnezzar had is what the king of Tyre had. Are you following that? Good. I just want you to pick this because they're very important. So what led to that? Let's look at verse 16. Very quickly. Isaiah 28, Ezekiel 28 verse 16. Look at what he said. What, what led to him not acknowledging this? Look at that. But the multitude of the merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and they have shined, they have sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, all covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Can you get that? Is it coming together now? Good. Now, you watch this. If you think this has to do with Lucifer, where was the business being conducted? Look at what he said there. But a multitude of the world, the merchandise, your business, your trade. Remember what I told you about the city of Tyre before? It was a major seaport. I, I, I mean, you can remember that. Good. By the multitude of your business, you've forgotten because you've become worthy that I made you the king and giving you the authority that you have. That's what he said. Yep, I'm going to cast you out. I'm going to take you out of being a king. I'm going to reduce you. Hallelujah. Is it clear? So, 
When it says, by the multitude of the merchandise, they are filled the midst of thee with violence, that is, they are filled the midst of the city. Tyrus, as the head of the state, being involved in the gate of the state as well, which he did not check, but compromised. They are filled it by multitude of merchandise. They are filled it. First of all, he's talking to the state. He's talking to the nation. And then you cannot talk about the nation without talking about the rulership. Hallelujah. Then the next thing we find that is iniquity was found in thee. So you find that the iniquity that was found in him, if you read the scriptures, right? Unto iniquity, your perfect unto iniquity was found in thee. Is that, is that okay? Right. What then was the iniquity that was found in him? Can somebody explain now from what we're just reading? Iniquity was pride of wealth. And forsaken, he who made him to be what? Wealthy. It's like the scripture saying, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth the power to do what? To get wealth. That was iniquity that was found in this man. It's not as if he was an angel somewhere and then rebellion came. Because that's what they teach. That the rebellion of, of, of Lucifer in heaven is the iniquity that was found in him. But that far from the truth. Far from scripture. The iniquity that was found in King Tyrus was the wealth that has acquired and neglecting the God that made him worthy. The pride of wealth. Not the pride of beauty. You know what they taught us in the early times was Lucifer was such a beautiful angel. Huh? And that his beauty entered his head. Nothing to do with that. Very foreign to scripture. Praise the living God. Meaning unto the pride of your words. Unto the pride of your words and the glory that you are basking in came into your head. Thinking that you gain. When you say unto iniquity was found in thee. Thinking that you gain all things by your own power and what and struggle. So we find that that was actually the problem of who? Of King Tyrus. That was iniquity. Here again, because somebody was trying to speak to me and they said, Pastor David, don't you think this is Adam in Eden? But iniquity was found in Adam. But I have been able to establish the fact that Adam didn't sin. Do we all agree? Good. Scripture said it clearly. Adam was not, is that okay? In the transgression, but the woman was. I mean, if you remember. Good. But Adam willingly gave himself for it. I mean, if you remember that. Absolutely. So here again we find out they have nothing to do with Adam because some people teach Ezekiel 28 to be Adam because they said they were in, in the garden of God, Eden. When the iniquity was finding thee, you were perfect. No, far from it. Hallelujah. So again, when we read in that verse 16 or verse, verse 14, I will cast thee as profane. Means you shall be cast down from your eminence. You shall no longer be treated as sacred, but driven out of the place of sanctity. That is Ezekiel 28 verse 14. You'll be driven out. I will cast thee as profane. When something is profane, you've lost your divine establishment. You have lost your divine connection. You have lost everything that made you thick. Praise the Lord. In other words, I'm getting you out from being a king. That's just what he's talking about there. Praise the living God. Are you following me? 
So let's get back again to, okay. All right. I will cast thee out as prevent out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Is that all right? I will cast you out. I'm taking you out of being a king. I'm making you to come out of that realm of dignity and authority. I will reduce you to just like any other man. The same thing we find in Isaiah 14 in relation to King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he's talking about here. Nothing one bit to do with one angel that was up in heaven or Adam in the Garden of Eden. Nothing to do with that. Let's read the scripture and then we can be done for tonight. Psalm 89, let's look at verse 39. Psalm 89, verse 39. Let's just take a look at this. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to what? To the ground. Can you get that? Can you get that? It's so easy. Thou hast made void the covenant of the servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by what? Casting it down. So when he says, I'll profane thee, I'm taking away your authority from you. The glory you carry, I'm going to remove. Everything that made you king, I'm bringing you down to just like any other man. That's what it means to profane. To profane means to be reduced from the place of power and authority to nothingness. Praise the living God. It's so simple, you always find it in Scripture. It's just that we find it a little bit difficult to read and to research the Word of God. The Bible said, deep things belong unto the Lord, secret things belong to the Lord, but the rest we shall be able to dig out. Hmm? That which are revealed to us is for us and our children. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But the people are finding it difficult to get into what God reveals. We must understand that treasures can be under the earth, but it takes time to dig it up before you can find even gold. Men are not ready to dig the world. They are not ready to go down. So you can see the word profane here is clearly explained. To profane a man is to take away his authority. So when Ezekiel 28 said, I'm going to profane thee, what it simply means is, I'm taking you away from the place of power. I'm taking away your crown of glory. I'm reducing you from being a king to an ordinary man. That's how God was going to profane King Tyrus. That should be a lesson to us. Somebody was asking me a question. David, what have you got to say scripturally about what's going on in the Middle East? Then I told you I'm an old Zionist in the first place. All men belongs to God. And if there have been wars before, there is nothing new today. Everything we will see on the face of the earth is nothing but the factor of humanism that's playing out. Don't look for scripture to back up what men are doing. Hallelujah. Are you still there with me? Don't you ever find scriptures to back up and say prophecy has been fulfilled. If you like, go ahead. But the point is, there have always been war. This is not the first war Israel is fighting. David fought war. He was the king of Israel. Saul fought war. He was the king of Israel. So what is unique? What is going on? Nothing. Even Israel need God. They need Christ. How many of you believe that? 
They need Christ. So I'm not a Zionist. It's unfortunate. Because some people feel they have to be Zionists to be accepted by God. No. You can only be accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Are you still there? Praise the living God. So friends, this is what we got. What am I trying to say? This king, which, is a, which was a literal king and not a metaphor. You see, you see what they said? They said, all these kings, they could referring to Nebuchadnezzar, Pindu, King Tyros, Satan was working behind the scene. Man, don't try to fool Satan in every situation. If you have wrong thought, you just have wrong thought. Accept it, you have wrong thought. Hallelujah. Are you still there with me? You just have to accept it. And stop blaming the devil all the time. You see, it's, it's, it's so stupid. I, I think because Adam started it. Why have you done this? The woman you gave to me. Huh? Everybody's passing the blame. Woman, why do you do this? They say, and did. It's only separate. I have nobody to blame right now. <laughs> only the devil have nobody to blame. The man is blaming the woman. The woman is blaming the serpent. The serpent, is, well, is a victim. No one to blame. But friends, let's take responsibility for our actions. Can I hear any man to die? I love you. See you next week.